Hello and welcome to the Speak Freely podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Carano. The Speak Freely podcast is a new initiative by the European Students for Liberty to foster ideas and debate surrounding economics, public policy, and the social sciences more generally. The FCC has recently decided to debate the validity of the 2015 Open Internet Order, the one that formalized the rules surrounding net neutrality. As the debate rages on over the necessity of such formal rules, I sat down to moderate a debate regarding the need for the principles more generally and whether net neutrality is a good thing for the internet. Please listen and enjoy. If you find the ideas interesting or have ideas of your own you'd like to share, please continue the debate by commenting and sharing and also registering your opinion with us at Speak Freely. Thank you for joining me, guys. Um, so before we begin, let me just introduce the both of you. So here with me today are Roland Fink, an economist in Germany at the Bundestag with the FDP, and Daniil Gorbatenko, a PhD candidate at Marseille, uh, who's working on the business cycle theory for his dissertation. And we're just going to have a little, I guess, debate about net neutrality and I'll be moderating it for you guys. Um, I myself am kind of on the fence. I'm not convinced that it's a, it's a necessary thing, but I'm also not convinced that we don't need to do something. So before we get into actually the specifics of it, since people want to hear the cases, just briefly outline what your positions are um, and explain why, why you feel what you feel. So I'll start with Roland, since you're defending net neutrality and that seems to be the status quo. So do you want to just give a brief overview? All right. Um, I think um, there are two conflicting markets that we are talking about here. You have the ISP market and um, the market for digital services. And um, while the net neutrality is certainly is some kind of limitation for the ISP market, I think it's necessary uh, to have uh, this limitation for the digital services market to be um, even able to exist in a way, uh, to at least uh, be able to exist as a competitive market, um, a market with a low or you know basically no barriers to entry, and um, therefore as a market uh, where where there's a contest, where the contestability. And so I think this will um, bring freedom uh, in, in that market and therefore, uh, you know, everything that a free market brings. So uh, innovation and um, uh, low prices, etc. Have to know that it's. <clears throat> I mean, it's not impossible, but generally, it's um, a bit <clears throat> surprising to hear that you can increase the freedom of a market through um, forcing basically some of the producers to to behave in a certain way, even though this way doesn't necessarily like violate anyone's like obvious rights. But whatever, it's, it's not to it's not to say that this is impossible, but it's generally a bit a bit dubious as a statement but um, let me let me um, let me let me start with a, with a couple of analogies on which I maybe will um, elaborate more later <clears throat> imagine first that 
some government regulator decides and and implements a rule saying that from now on all the companies specializing in delivery, for example, on distance delivery or whatever, um, that they will treat all the parcels which they are asked to deliver um, similarly. In as an analogy to the net neutrality debate, let's say let's treat each kilogram as sim simply a kilogram, for example, like like the net neutrality advocates propose to treat every byte as a byte. It's obvious, kind of, that um, treating, abstracting from all the details of, of things that are being delivered uh, probably is not going to have, like, very good effects, you know, because there are specificities, there are specific ways that you should deliver some things and not the others, and etc. And the second analogy, which is kind of related, but which is more like a, a demand-side analogy, so to speak, Imagine um, government told all the restaurants um, that they could only um, that they could only sell people meals consisting of um, <clears throat> of three dishes. That the only thing they could were vary in terms of those meals were um, the sizes of the dishes. Because again, it mirrors net neutrality. The net neutrality idea in the sense that <clears throat> that. Basically, the idea is that internet service providers can only uh, differentiate on, on on the quantity, on the certain like aggregate indicators of the of the of the service, but not not on the actual content of the service. So again, my, so my point is that in general, ignoring important differentiation among the products and the needs of consumers, various consumers in a certain industry is probably not going to have a good effect. So this is my, this is my point. So uh, just off the bat, both of your cases were quite philosophical cases on net neutrality principles. Um, but as we know, the, the net neutrality regulation, the 2015 Open Internet Order is only two years old. And in, in Europe, they started um, like con considering these about 2009 and different countries have uh, enacted them at different levels of strength. Throughout the EU as a whole, there isn't a very strong guiding um, order as there is for the FCC to, uh, to interfere with the US market. So if you're defending it based on principle, why was this not a problem 10 years ago as the internet grew? Why was this not a problem in 2009? Why did this only become a problem recently? Um, I guess, Roland, because you're actually defending those principles, you probably have a take on that. So if you go back 10 years, uh, 10 years ago, YouTube was founded. Before that, um, there was basically uh, no need for, um, for digital service providers to be able to... Um, compete on the, on the speed point of uh, things. So that was the starting point where it became attractive for internet service providers to be, to at least uh, to be able to um, discriminate amongst their customers and amongst um, the different, uh, both service, uh, especially service providers. Um, 
So if you're asking why wasn't this a problem 20 years ago, it's easy, uh, there was no need. Why wasn't this a problem 10 years ago, there weren't the technical possibilities uh, to discriminate as easy um, to have a look at the parcels and see what is in each parcel. And you know, if we go by analogies, um, imagine, imagine something else. Imagine you want to buy a car, um, but the road providers will only let certain big brands that pay a huge sum of money um, drive on the highway. Everybody else, if you, if you buy a, a car with another brand, uh, you will need to use country roads or maybe uh, you are only allowed to drive 50, or maybe you can uh, drive that brand only for 500 kilometers per month on highways. Even though you as a customer uh, of the car, you have nothing to do with uh, the, the deal between uh, the road providers, uh, which may be the state, which may be a private company, um, and uh, the car brand. But certainly does limit uh, your ability to choose amongst cars. It does limit uh, the freedom both of car makers and certainly of car buyers. It's a limit um, uh, to competition in the car market. Um, so, yeah, th this is a philosophical point because um, it's only just started like uh, two, three, four years ago that the ISPs really got the idea that, you know, there are now different services uh, for uh, music streaming, there are no different services for video streaming, and I can let them pay to have a special treatment and all the others will lose market access. So, for Daniil, what, what he's just made is, is a couple of, of points. One is on the utility nature of the internet and that the ISPs are providing an infrastructure that should be a level playing field and that by using net neutrality, you're avoiding the abilities for exclusionary behavior or discriminatory behavior at the second level of the market. Uh, do you think those are necessary things in the internet space to avoid kind of barriers to entry? I would say that first, I don't know, I read more on the on the American evidence than, than on the European one. Um, I think in general, before the adoption of the US net neutrality rules, there were actually the Federal Communications Commission was able to, to cite only four examples of potentially questionable behavior <clears throat> on behalf of the ISPs, the most major of which concerned actually BitTorrent, which is kind of a slightly different, um, actually very different ways, way of using the internet than let's say streaming service or whatever. Um, my my idea is basically I would say that no, this is not this is not necessary because what what internet service providers would potentially try to do is to actually use certain non-neutral arrangements to to address the the ways those new services started affecting the network. Because for example, let's say. Let's say, let's talk, for example, about peer-to-peer -peer services like BitTorrent or increasingly blockchain, which functions according to a similar mm, structure. Um, those, for example, they put special pressure on the like final segment of the network, basically. So, so in in a sense, 
if, for example, you live in a house with someone who heavily uses, um, let's say, BitTorrent or something like this at certain hours, then if that person just pays the same rate for the for using uh, SU, for example, um, for using this, the, the network service, it means essentially that that this kind of arrangement is, is likely inefficient because because you're essentially subsidizing his heavy usage of the or her heavy usage of the of the network and um, and similarly with video streams so essentially um, it's no surprise that Netflix for example and Google supported net neutrality because essentially they benefit from from in a sense from the fact that other consumers who do not use Netflix or YouTube as heavily, for example, as others, essentially kind of cross-subsidizing the, the usage in, in the net neutrality context, kind of cross-subsidizing the usage of, of those services by, by some people who heavily use them. So in this sense, so, so the larger message is that, that there is really a huge difference between the, the ways various um, various services on the internet are using the network and like basic economic common sense should suggest that you cannot you cannot address these problems by treating the internet as kind of like a rail railroad or something like that which just like is a common carrier or something like this on that point, then, you also have cross-subsidy in terms of, of roads because there are certain people that don't have cars and obviously wouldn't be using said roads, but everyone is contributing to them. And is it kind of that the infrastructure itself wouldn't be able to be maintained without a certain level of funding? So is that not an argument that... The, the way that the internet works requires some level of cross-subsidy. Otherwise, the throughput doesn't come, to, to come through for, the, for the, uh, the customers that want to use it. Because if, if, if more people drop out of it completely as a result of some discriminatory pricing, wouldn't that put in jeopardy the entire infrastructure? Yes, yeah, certainly. It's, it's a good point because the, generally the literature on price discrimination usually says that in some cases it's good when there is cross-subsidy, for example, let's take the usual example, for example, of separating the space in an airplane into the first class and, and let's say, economy, for example. Uh, in, in this case, private discrimination kind of helps everyone because it allows poor customers to fly and at the same time it allows richer customers to have a certain distinguishing experience, so to speak, and in the same time, it, it lowers the overall price for everyone. But the problem with net neutrality is that it doesn't aim to subsidize the infrastructure. It aims, it aims to ensure that um, it, it essentially works to ensure that despite placing different demands on the network, for example, network, uh, Netflix or YouTube, that they are treated by service providers the same as, as the same way as other entities, and and this I don't think it's it's related to. I don't think it's 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 like 
it's like you created a paid toll road and and you asked the same price for using it both for like automobiles and for huge trailer trucks you know it's it's kind of it's kind of well not not exactly like that because of course it's more complicated but it's like um, I don't. I, I don't think it's a. That's a fair point because. Um, so I, I disagree on the premise. So I don't. I don't think it's a fair point to say the customer of the ISP. Those are the uh, like Google and Netflix, etc. And those who use it more heavy should pay more because certainly I am um, a customer of the ISP. And when I use Netflix the whole day, I will certainly pay more and. Um, they are allowed to price this grenade uh, for the heavier usage um, than when I only look at emails. So I don't think it's a fair point to say, uh, you know, it's necessary to have price discrimination for different uses of the of the bandwidth. Of course, uh, this is okay. If you use more bandwidth, you uh, should pay more. Um, but I think it's uh, a, a totally different case with the, that secondary market. Um, you said that it's natural then that uh, Google, etc., they are against um, uh, against the discrimination because they will pay more. Okay, fair point. Um, for them, it will be an inconvenience, um, but they will be uh, like a milking cow for the ISPs. They will survive that. Of course they will. If Amazon needs to pay more, uh, you know, that's no problem for them. If Google needs to pay more, that's no problem for them. They're rich. They're f they have huge cash flow. Um, but the others, they won't be able to pay for that. So if you are a startup company and you're building a new search engine and your search engine is better than Google, but you need to pay uh, $100 million up front uh, to be able to use um, the speed lane. So you're, you won't be able to do that. So you will be always be slower than Google. And you know, Google is instant. So uh, it's a huge inconvenience for me as a customer if my search engine is slower than instant. Therefore, I will have to stay with Google. Therefore, there will be a monopoly in the search engine market, and uh, an artificial monopoly that's not driven um, by the quality of the goods, uh, that, that's not driven um, by happenstance, by a company being just the best, but in a contestable market. There will be uh, an artificial monopoly created by the ISPs, um, they will be able to milk the large uh, companies, the large multinationals who are able to pay uh, the multinationals. For them, it's an inconvenience, but on the, uh, on the one hand, they will pay more for the ISPs, a lot more. Uh, but on the other hand, they will have a monopoly. On, uh, just, um, just two questions about that, Roland. Well, yeah. One, what you mentioned about the, the monopolizing effects of search engines based on their ability to pay. The thing is, we already see a trend like that occurring even within the net neutrality regulations. It's, it's just it's part of the network effects that come in online space. And I'm not sure how this actually addresses that. And, and the second point that, that I'll, I'll let you answer this as well is when it comes to the price discrimination you're talking about, 
when it excludes other uh, entrants to the market, if that's if that's an essential facet of this type of of tacit dealing between companies uh, who are vertical from each other in the market, that's already an antitrust concern in in uh, almost every jurisdiction that I know of. So, is is there a need to formalize net neutrality rules if you can already bring in the antitrust authorities to to prevent that kind of price discrimination from happening? Um, so, for the first thing, uh, there's uh, this theory called contestable markets. Uh, it goes that, you know, even if there's a monopoly or a de facto mon monopoly with one company having like 80-90% uh, of market share, um, even the threat of other companies coming in easily um, will make the monopolist behave as if uh, it was a competitive market. So um, they will be driven to innovate, they will be driven to have uh, low prices, uh, they will be driven to treat their customers uh, nicely, etc. Um, so what net neutrality provides is only the contestability. It does not provide uh, the, the break off of the monopoly, but it provides a contestable market. And uh, so if you're a startup um, competing against, you know, Spotify, for example, there are network effects, there, are, uh, th there is the fact that you, you know, you need to um, have the music rights and things like that. But um, if there is uh, no net neutrality and, um, you know, the, the ISPs, they are now really onto this. They uh, got the idea that they can make money with this. Um, so uh, very shortly you will see that um, you won't be able to, to participate in the marketplace. The second thing um, that you asked uh, whether this is an antitrust uh, issue, yes it is. <laughs> it most definitely is. Uh, so maybe um, there could be uh, ways uh, with the antitrust authorities uh, to deal with this. Um, but antitrust law is slow. Um, the EU case against Google, um, with Google um, favoring its, its own shopping search engine over uh, other search results, it took like five years, and it's there, there is a verdict now, but it's still not final. So um, in in internet in the internet age, this is forever. Um, but, okay, so usually, but on the, on on the, on the on the contestability point, right? The mm -hmm. the contestability exists also within ISPs. So if an ISP decides to discriminate against a certain company, can't its own customers hold that to account and switch to a different ISP? So if they throttle something their customers use, that'll just send poor reputational effects for that ISP in general, and the competition against that ISP will prevent it. You don't really uh, need to that, formalize this into yeah. a set of rules. Well, uh, th uh, this depends um, on whether there is uh, there is another network provider for the, so whether you have the ability to have another ISP in the U.S. Uh, you certainly haven't. Um, there are local monopolies, and in uh, Europe um, it depends on uh, where you live or like in Germany. Um, basically. Uh, there, there are regulations that force 
that usually force the um, owners of the network to allow different internet service providers on their, uh, on the, you know, on their physical cables and stuff. Um, but that doesn't really work that well in practice uh, because they are still able to um, heavily overcharge and therefore it, uh, it, it doesn't happen outside of the uh, big urban areas. So if, you're, um, if you live in an urban area, that might be the case. If you live in a, a rural area, it's certainly not. And if you live in the United States, it certainly uh, is not the case. But f fundamentally, then, that's still, that's still a competition issue there because you, you want yeah. to boost competition among the ISP market. But, but does net neutrality not create extra barriers for new ISPs? Um, it hands over a significant degree of discretionary power to the FCC rather than to an antitrust uh, like uh, bureau, which, which which allows for this kind of regulatory capture, which allows for this barrier to ISPs. Oh, before we before we move like very far in this direction, yeah. can I can I can I answer a couple of points? So so the the first one I wanted to answer is the um, the unfair kind of cross subsidization mechanism and the. And the mechanism is like let's if we ignore the like mobile this cell phone market where it functions differently where you can pay for a certain amount of data to download and stuff. Most of the let's say fiber optic, for example, market functions. <clears throat> basically, you live in a house and you have several providers. Okay, there is some differentiation in the plans, but mostly it's about the speed of connection. So, so basically, let's say that if every um, customer in this building um, cannot decide on their own needs, for example, I, I cannot decide that I pay only, let's say, for using uh, the network by using Facebook, let's say, and, and, and email and not, let's say, using uh, Netflix or something like that. So essentially, because because for example, ISPs cannot charge separately for using Netflix and separately for using some other services. What but what this means is essentially um, there are a lot of users for pay for, who pay for kind of everything, even though they use they might use only a certain part of the services which are available on the network so so this is this was the whole point of the uh, of the cross subsidization argument um secondly on i wanted to address the point roland said that in the us especially you don't have competition among local internet service providers this is not true like uh, already in 2012 cato institute did a study well, actually, I think maybe they quoted studies, but but the point is that already then, like a very high percentage of American households had access to at least two, or often three, um, internet service providers. So so this is not really uh, there is really and I mean from my personal experience of living not in the U.S. but in France, like changing an internet service provider doesn't doesn't constitute. Very much of a very much of a problem, and I don't live in Paris. So, well, I don't live in a village either. <laughs> I mean, but but still, and and I think actually what what needs to be mentioned here in general that it's 
it's also you, Ryan, you were right to raise the issue of kind of regulatory capture and public choice. And I think in this particular case, you have certain kind of fight for influence between like inter internet service providers and at least some content providers like Netflix or, or Google. And basically, basically, Google and Netflix are trying to wrestle more of the revenue from from ISPs through through the net neutrality scheme. So basically, my preferred solution is that this process kind of of trying to to get a larger share of the revenue that this process doesn't happen doesn't happen through through the government regulatory bodies and more through innovation or whatever. Just, just, yeah, the, to, to quote Gary Becker, because before he died, he actually wrote a paper uh, talking about the issues with net neutrality. And uh, his comment on the U.S. market, just a quote, was, competition among broadband access providers, including cable, DSL, and wireless broadband, enables customers to switch providers if they are not satisfied with the service from their current one. Available data also indicate that subscribers frequently switch service providers and that broadband access providers face considerable customer churn. So the, the, the basic fundamental point is that this, this incentive to, to maintain the relationship between ISPs, content providers, and final um, end users, it would exist with or without the net neutrality regulation. And any of the concerns that, that are being brought up, that they're better addressed through antitrust mechanisms. Um, I don't, just want to ask what you think about that, Roland. Um, so first of all, I'm really not sure uh, that the state about uh, the competition um, uh, is true. Uh, basically, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not true. So in the, in the United States, um, what most people used to have uh, was uh, only cable. And um, for cable, there are local monopolies uh, uh, or regional monopolies because uh, um, the companies um, created them uh, amongst each other, so th so they uh, you know they uh, colluded to share the market. Then came Google Fiber, and uh, everywhere where they got Google Fiber, uh, people switched to Google Fiber because now there was competition and it was much better. Um, so for uh, one, uh, so. For an internet speed um, of uh, like say 100 megabit uh, per second, which is pretty fast in the United States, um, basically uh, only like 10% have uh, two or more providers to choose from. Um, there is competition, but only if you go for uh, slower speed and if you go for slower speed, um, especially if you go uh, below uh, 10 Mbit, um, where there is real competition with like three or more uh, companies to choose from, um, then you don't need to uh, talk about uh, the, the bandwidth um, uh, where net neutrality comes into play, uh, where you actually um, need uh, the, the, the fast track internet um, with you know looking HD uh, videos on several screens, stuff like that. That's that's where uh, where the discrimination comes, and that's where the ISPs tell the uh, the digital service providers that um, they should pay extra if they want to uphold their um, their offer. And 
that's where no competition is in the United States ISP market. It's a little bit different, in, as I said, in, uh, in Europe because um, antitrust laws force the um, owners of the network that are usually the same people as the, uh, as the ISPs um, force them to open up to other ISPs using the same cables or using the same fiber. Um, so the market design on the ISP side is different in Europe and uh, therefore it's not that bad. Um, but in, in also, if, if that's the case, right, shouldn't, shouldn't the US yeah. uh, try to take the European route rather than creating this this large piece yeah, well, of Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, that's, uh, well, it's, it's, an, it's a different, uh, different place where the re re regulation takes place. So it's both uh, an antitrust uh, law that creates competition um, based on, you know, uh, based on government action. So you can do that in the primary market on the ISP level, you can do it on the secondary market uh, from the ISP uh, to the digital services provider, or you can do it in both. Um, but my point is you need to do it at least at, uh, on, on uh, one of the markets uh, to, to be able to have some sort of competition and for a market then uh, to properly work on a longer time frame. Um. So yeah, if, if that's the case, it, isn't, it is the case in Europe that we do uh, more or less both, uh, depending on what country you're in. Why would it not be preferable to just pick one, to just pick the kind of uh, mandatory licensing schemes that you mentioned for ISPs? Why is that not just an absolutely preferable option? So as I said, they are not always working uh, the way um, that they are intended, the, those uh, regulation schemes. But in, in general, uh, yeah, I think if you, can, if you can regulate the ISPs in a way that there is a really contestable market, um, sure, why not? So, Dil, what's your take on that? Do you, do, you, do you think one of them is preferable? Do you think they're about... That, that neither of them are actually necessary. Uh, what, what do you What do you say? Um, you mean you mean the more the antitrust approach than the neutrality approach, or yeah, yeah, between the two of them, because uh, Roland's uh, seems to be that, that it's an either or or both, um, and and since you were against that neutrality, do you think that we do need an antitrust approach, or are neither of them really necessary in this At case? I think I think we don't really need either of them because they share they both share the same kind of um, the same assumptions essentially which I, which I think are not are not validated by the actual experience. First of all, I would like to reiterate, as I said in the beginning, that the evidence of um, internet service providers actually like flagrantly um, abusing their ability like. At least in the U.S. before 2015, you know, it's it hasn't been long ago, and there was no evidence of like the end of the internet, you know, or something like this. It it used to work relatively well, and and YouTube already existed, um, and this is related to a larger point that there are 
ways um, that are actually, given how comp complex the system is, that it consists, that it's actually a complex network, even in terms of the topology of the system and in the ways that certain packets can be routed, certain data can be, data can be routed as opposed to other data. There, there are lots of avenues for innovation in the system, but the problem with net neutrality is that basically it will render most of this in innovation. The principle will hamper those innovations because many of them are not necessarily neutral. For example, I read a nice example. Um, there is a nice example with uh, peering arrangements. You know, for example, um, some ISPs instead of like um, getting data from some website by a long hierarchical route, they can use some arrangement which will bypass it, which will mean, for example, that you could be able, because of this innovative, for example, agreements, to download, let's say, data from CNN uh, faster than data from, let's say, uh, MSNBC or something like this. And, and I would argue that this kind of arrangement, it hurts no one, because otherwise, like, you would have to had to download um, from both sides using the usual more like hierarchical route and and but in this sense of course this violates the principle of net neutrality essentially because because basically the ISP prioritizes certain packets rather than rather than others so and just, just just on that though because one of the big concerns, one that, one that I, I relatively think is somewhat unfounded, um, is whether content would be disappeared or blocked or whether uh, ISPs will, will throttle sites they see as competitors to their downstream operations. However, the concern is legitimate that if I am an ISP and I do own subsidiaries that, compete, that, that operate downstream from me, I can use my my position in the market to penalize my competitor firms to make it harder for them to access the customers they need because regardless of whether you're Google or Netflix, you can only get to your end consumer through an ISP. Um, do you think that this is this is an invalid concern or? Uh, no, of course. I mean, the concern is of course well valid, but then. I mean, I mean, if, even if we look like at, a, at the market, which is kind of different, let's say we remember, like, I think it was mentioned that in the beginning, Microsoft was kind of making everyone use Internet Explorer as its browser. And, and because of that, the European Union has pursued Microsoft in antitrust uh, proceedings. In the end, for example, Microsoft just abandoned it, not just in the EU where it was forced to do it, but it abandoned it in, in the US and in other areas which, where it was not forced to do it just because I guess the company, the company realized that it was not as good as making, at making good browsers. Actually, uh, just, just to clarify <laughs> that, uh, the Microsoft point, uh, there is an antitrust investigation in the US as well, but that, that's actually a, a, an interesting point because yeah, the, the whole browser wars that came out were largely as a result of the incentives placed upon Microsoft from being under scrutiny. 
So if you want a similar kind of situation to occur, that you have growing downstream competition, wouldn't you want to place ISPs under certain degree of scrutiny so that they have that kind of uh, incentive structure? Mm. I mean, given given that this industry is actually quite competitive and often, you know, even I read some 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 source I don't remember exactly which saying that increasingly even like mobile internet is offering speeds of let's say download which are approaching well not not exactly the same but approaching the speed of download we let's say through more traditional channels um i mean i just i'm just not seeing you know this scenario of 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 single internet provider being able for any considerable period of time to 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 do so to engage in this sort of behavior you know but i mean maybe i'm wrong just to bring well, rolling well, to that topic, just, yeah uh, go ahead i was just going to ask you because you seem to have a very different uh, opinion on on what the trend in the isp market is to begin with well, maybe it's a German background because, you know, in uh, 2015, when the European Parliament uh, passed its new net neutrality rule, um, they uh, they said they want to have, you know, some expe- exceptions for special cases. And those special cases, uh, they are very reasonable, uh, at least what, uh, you know, the people in the European Parliament thought of, like, uh, for example, uh, telemedicine or, you know, if you have um, a traffic uh, regulation, um, uh, that's done electronically. Those need to work perfectly and and very fast and etc. So, uh, of course, as you know, on a normal road, I used this example before. Um, um, the the example with the brands on the road. Of course, you have, if you have an ambulance on the road, um, they will need to have other rules and they will need to pass through the traffic. Uh, but when these exceptions came in, when these exceptions came in, the Deutsche Telekom, which um, have like 40% of the broadband market, um, they instantly in Germany they they instantly said, okay, these special exceptions, well, everybody's special, you know. Um, so we would like to have uh, startups that uh, still want to be in the marketplace just share a few percentage points of their revenue with us. Um, in this case, in Germany, there was a huge shitstorm uh, because uh, so the public wasn't there of that and the public disagreed and so they didn't do it at least uh, to the extent where, where they planned it. Um, but. In general, yes, they, the ISPs really want to do this. They really want to abuse that power uh, because, of, of course, they would. If you, if you could have downstream from you, if you could have a monopolist uh, that gives you a large share of his monopoly rent, of course you want to have that. Of course you want to have a huge share of a monopoly rent downstream uh, that, that doesn't uh, really affect you, that doesn't hamper your business, um, but that will give you uh, lots and lots of money. Of course, these most companies want to do it, and if they can, they will. But, but it's that's just, that's just, no question at all for me. Just on the point of that, because you're saying that there are justifiable exceptions, what if we think about it in the other, other direction, that 
that most cases are somewhat justified. There's only a few cases where, where, where it's not, because what if I do want to, let's say, and this is a very common thing uh, to begin with, you have product bundling between um, phone, mobile phone providers with certain, certain companies to provide things like Netflix is native with your mobile phone subscription. It's a great way to entice customers to come. If I'm an ISP provider just to, for home internet use, why would I not want to engage in that same kind of agreements with different um, content providers? And then the competition that would arise between different ISP providers, because this is actually enabling that competition to occur, um, would allow people who want to pay more to get into the fast lane, would, uh, would, would open up new types of market structures for consumers to benefit from. And isn't the end goal increased consumer welfare to begin with? So um, if you're talking about a product bundling that's uh, in general not um, included in this uh, net neutrality rules in Europe, so uh, that's I, I, I don't see a problem with, with product bundling if you know, you know or you say uh, with your ISP. Um, I don't care about that. Competition can solve that. Um, what I care about is actually, yeah, the fast lane argument, because, um, okay, you have the product bundling and you have the, you know, uh, if you are with Deutsche Telekom, you get Spotify native. Okay, fair enough. Um, but if you want to use the music player of Amazon Prime or uh, of any startup that does a similar thing, um, you should be able uh, to use it at the normal same speed because otherwise the market will not be contestable. There, w there will be no, not only, not, not only just some, but there will be nobody able to compete with the fast lane Spotify offering. Um, but the fast lane Spotify offering would be tied to a specific provider. Would it do? And, and if that's the case, it would just lead to, to different innovations in contract provision. Mm, depending. If you, if you have the German market, there are four ISPs. Um, so if I'm uh, Spotify, what I would do is um, uh, pay the most for every ISP and voila. I have no competition, I have to pay a lot, it's uh, very inconvenient, um, but all the others will go out of business and therefore I win, winner takes it all, that's, that's and already, I'm happy. But that's already subject to antitrust concerns if you do that, because that's, that's, that's erecting a barrier for other market entrants if you do it with every single service provider. Um, I, I'm not, I'm just, I understand the concerns you're mentioning, I'm just not convinced the the standard toolkit we have already is not sufficient to address them. <laughs> um, well, and, um, and just one more question, but, but which is which is kind of has because the, this kind of concern, for example, for the German market, like uh, has anyone actually calculated how much it would cost for, let's say, Spotify or some some other major content provider to actually buy off the ISPs and, and will it will such an arrangement be actually economically meaningful because we can make all sort of 
like hypothetical scenarios which we may not which may actually in fact be completely unrealizable because because the, the only the only reason why I bring that up is I was I was doing some research on the on the way mobile phones operate and mo- mobile phones they have multi-part tariff structures the problem with creating different types of product bundles is that if they don't have a sufficient market share the 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 product bundles that allow them to effectively price discriminate to allow everyone to gain in, in their consumer surplus um, they they would lose out because competitors would enter and offer a uniform pricing structure which allows for some arbitrage trading to occur now with ISPs and, and with content providers in general you generally see moves to multi-part tariff structures Netflix offers different subscription tariffs um, different ISPs obviously the, the, the bandwidth that you get the more different tariff structures that we can offer the more you can bundle certain services and different together the more opportunity you create for consumer welfare insofar as these tariff structures are reflecting the market, right? So as long as they're, they're, they have a way to effectively price discriminate. And the thing is, I believe we do have the ability to effectively price discriminate. I think that's a short-term view. It's a static uh, look at the market. Um, because, yeah, uh, in, in, the, in the short run, um, it might be better for everyone. It's better for uh, the company that gets the monopoly, but it can still at the same time uh, theoretically be better um, for the customers as well. For example, because you can um, offer really high-end uh, products that otherwise could not be offered. Um, and therefore, usually price discriminate, and uh, so, yeah. Um, it could be. Uh, on, on the short run, I'm, uh, I'm not convinced it's, it's, uh, it's a problem. Uh, in the long run, I'm, uh, or in the medium run, I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, because everything that hinders competition, um, everything that, uh, that cements these monopolies that automatically build up in the digital economy, in the platform economy as well, um, they, they are all already automatically built up, but they can be torn down. Um, if you hinder this um, creative destruction, so to say, if you hinder the market entry and the growth of uh, small competitors, everything that, uh, that hinders that, um, I think in a, in, in a dynamic view of the market, in a, um, you know, if, if, if you don't look at like one to three years, but if you look five to seven to ten years, um, I think you will really fall behind if you, if you have that. So, um, I wish there were these, these good old days uh, still where uh, ISPs have hadn't thought uh, about uh, the the possibilities, you know, to um, to market design on the secondary market. Uh, but now that they have, I think it uh, re- needs to be regulated. And yes, um, the existing 
uh, antitrust law could do that as well, but the anti existing antitrust law is slow, and um, the internet is not. And uh, so, Daniel, what, what are your takes on that? Do you think that in the long run, this is net neutrality is, is a necessary competitive measure? That not not on saying that you're providing just a pl platform for all users, but for allowing the potential for new entrants down the line. No, I think of course usually like the record of <clears throat> similar regulations, you know, because this kind of regulations have actually kind of quite a long history, you know, starting maybe from railroad regulations and, uh, and stuff like that. And the, and the evidence from this kind of policy shows that generally it allows for the opposite kind of behavior, you know, it allows from, for example, AT&T in the US, which was a telephone monopoly, uh, it, which was exactly subject to common carrier kind of rates that it couldn't uh, price discriminate and stuff. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm aware of uh, like major historical examples that you could, um, that this sort of measures achieved um, achieve the more competitive, more contested markets in, in, in the dynamic competition sense, because it's nice that Roland Europe, like, raised a more realistic view of antitrust, because a lot of antitrust is based on very static vision of how markets operate. But, but here I think that, um, like, because as, as you, Ryan, as you said, like, when a regulator gets gets the right to regulate the terms of um, of um, internet service provision, you open kind of sort of a Pandora box for all kind of other uh, regulations which which can favor the established uh, businesses. But I would say the the other problem is it's not just a problem of pure capture. You know, it's as just as I just said. You can have a lot of innovative arrangements uh, for delivering um, content, which, while they just improve the situation relative to the status quo, in principle they are anti-neutrality because they will treat the same kind of traffic, essentially, for example, traffic from CNN versus the traffic from MSNBC, they will treat the same kind of traffic in different ways, you know, so, so an innovation becomes something which, which, and it, in a way, an innovation is the best source for new market entrance. Uh, is, so I think, I think in this sense, no, I don't think any such measures are needed for ensuring market, uh, market entry, or at least I wanted to bring only one more point because I think we have to run out of time soon. But um, head of Netflix, Reed Hastings, who is a, an outspoken net neutrality advocate, uh, commented recently that he's actually not scared of the repeal. And I quote, the culture around net neutrality is very strong. The expectations of consumers are very strong. So even if the formal framework gets weakened, we don't see a big risk actualizing because consumers know they're entitled to getting all of the web services, end quote. What, what do you think briefly about the fact that even if the formal um, 
open internet order is weakened, you have this culture of net neutrality so inbuilt into the system that it's going to be very hard for ISPs to violate it. Um, I think in, in Germany that's certainly true. It was the case, like as I said two years ago, when uh, Deutsche Telekom uh, tried to move a little bit in the direction um, uh, of discriminating more. Um, so in a way it's true, but I'm not sure. It, it will be very interesting what happens in the US market once uh, those FCC rules are uh, gone for good and whether there will be um, in those markets where, where there are local monopolies uh, of the ISPs, uh, whether there will be differences. Um, I think it's, it will be a very nice natural experiment. And uh, we will also, you know, we will, we will have a look whether it will be possible to go that way uh, or for example Google that um, is both in the, in the US both an ISP and um, a digital service provider um, and that took a very firm stance pro net neutrality um, whether they will just say you know oh in all these markets uh, where there are local monopolies and they try to do that kind of shady business um, we will just uh, move in there and uh, be the, uh, the the hero and savior that the customers need, and um, they will open, uh, you know, they will open their arms and embrace us. And so that could also happen, you know. Um, so I'm I'm very much not sure. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure if uh, net neutrality were gone um, in Germany, 100 uh, percent. Um, that the ISPs would at least try, and if they could do it uh, without the public noticing, um, they would succeed. And, and Daniel, what do you think? Do you think that, that the innovation that you've supported occurring, do you think the cultural incentives are in place that, that ISPs would try in the absence of net neutrality? I think in general, I mean, first of all, I would... I would I would advise our reader, uh, listeners, to to look up um, the research by Christopher Yu. It's a, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, but he made some research for Cato Cato Institute on on this. And he has an article which is called "Network Neutrality or Internet Innovation." So the, the core message, I think, of this kind of research and in many examples of innovative. Um, arrangements that he's discussing there is that I guess there are ways in which network non-neutrality can be bad and ways in which it is they may be good. So I think I think looking also at some other research we do not in from the experience before in the US before the before the institution of, of before the adoption of net neutrality rules we don't see many examples of ISPs violating, abusing their technical ability to to prioritize certain certain data packets and deprioritize certain others. And but we do see a lot of examples of one could say good net non-neutrality, you know, which which usually, I mean, usually if you read the carefully the sort of research 
which goes into like a lot of technical details. You you will see that actually, I mean, the the very structure of the internet, because it, it actually consists of many autonomous systems, the very the number of them dimensions along which um, various services can vary, and and many other factors, they essentially make um, make the principle of net neutrality, at least in its like strong form, um, very difficult to apply. You just it's just very difficult to treat all types of content in the same way. You know, it's it's just just the system is so much more complex than, than that. Then. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you, guys. I think that's that's enough time. And to our listeners, I think you guys have heard uh, actually three uh, options for net neutrality now. The, mm -hmm. the strong pro-formal framework of net neutrality, more uh, cultural use antitrust rules to enforce it, or let the internet service providers innovate and see what occurs. Um, I myself haven't really been swayed either way. Actually, it's, it seems more complicated an issue to me now. Um, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully the people who are listening uh, can at least acknowledge the extent of the debate um, and, and the complexity of the issue uh, with that as well. But I thank you both for joining and your time, and I thank you everyone for listening. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for having us.